Hello, everybody. Thank you for uh, the awesome set of worship today. My name is Derek Ma. Uh, I've been, some of you guys know me, some of you guys don't know me, but a little bit about myself is that I'm going through seminary right now, so I'm a pastor in training, as I would like to say. But for the longest time, whenever I thought about preaching a sermon, I always had this idea that you had to be someone great, a great public speaker, someone who just you know, really capture the attention of the crowds. But my preaching professor would always tell me that, hey man, you know, you guys, you know, in this southern accent, you guys aren't ready for this. You guys are just preacher boys. But one day, I hope, with enough training, with enough dedication, with enough maturity, you'll be preacher men. So, I know that for all of us, we're all growing, we're all striving to become more mature. You know, we might be boys now, but we hope to become men later. You might be girls now, but we hope to become women later. If you don't crave that, then you know, I'll pray for your soul. But uh, that's the natural course of things, right? We naturally become, we start off as newborns, we become more and more mature as time goes on. So, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 13, this is really focusing on that maturity process. right? So, Paul He's a very mature Christian. He's an apostle. He's done all these things for the Lord, but he also wants his disciple, Timothy, to mature as well. Timothy is a younger guy. He's only been in ministry for a couple of years, but he's well-trained. You know, I wouldn't call him just a preacher boy. He's not as inexperienced as I am, but, you know, Paul still wants him to be trained up, to be able to entrust the gospel to faithful men. So, you know, why don't I open us up in prayer to be able to see the words of Scripture and to be able to become more and more mature throughout our lives. So let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we're able to gather here to look upon your word, to be strengthened by it, to be matured by it, to focus on you and you alone. God, I pray that we continue to do this. May your Holy Spirit be with me and be with us, teaching and preaching your word to our hearts. Thank you, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, next slide, please. Actually, no, I, I have a bad issue of uh, going over time a little bit. So I'm going to put a timer for myself. I, I tend to speak a little bit too long. So this phone timer will make sure that I'll get you guys out of here for, at 40 minutes, all right? Guaranteed. I'm not going to go you know, over 50. I'm not going to go over an hour. I guarantee you. I promise you. It's just going to be 40 minutes. Unless, you know, God willing, you know. What if the Holy Spirit, you know. So, unless that happens, of course. So, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, to entrust faithful men who will be able to teach others also, so Paul is writing this from a Roman prison. He's telling Timothy that this is your job. This should be your main focus in your ministry. You should be focused on entrusting the gospel to faithful men. But let's take a second and look at the first verse. How is Timothy supposed to do this? How does Timothy get the power and the strength and the knowledge to be able to entrust the gospel, right? His mentor, Paul, is in prison. He's only writing to him in letters. You know, Timothy probably feels really alone. 
He loves Paul, and he wants him to be free, but Paul knows that he is probably not going to be there for Timothy any longer. Timothy now needs to hold the reins at the church of Corinth. Right? So he tells him that in order to be able to entrust to faithful men, you need to have to be strengthened by this grace of Jesus Christ. Now first, if you think about it, that doesn't really make any sense. Right? If you want, oh yeah, next slide. If you think about it, you know, what is grace? It's something that is you know, unearned or undeserved blessing or favor given out freely in goodwill. I don't know why, you know, that little grace. What is very, why is that so small? I thought it was bigger in my slide, but yeah, so these little things that we show grace to each other all the time, why does that, you know, give us strength? So I put some images for us to understand what grace is like. The first one is maybe a carpool, right? An act of carpooling with others, you know, that's an act of common grace. You know, you need a ride somewhere, you don't have enough money for Uber, you don't have enough money you know, to take a bus or something, so you call your friend, like, hey, you know, I need you to come pick me up to the thing. You know, can we go to the mall? It's like, oh, yeah, brother, I got you. And they're doing this out of goodwill. You know, they love you. They care about you. They're not asking for anything in return. It's like, imagine your friend drives you to the mall. It's like, all right, that'll be like, uh, what was that, 10, 25, and uh, afterwards, you know, you got to pay me back, you know, when I drive you back home. You know, that wouldn't be a good friend. That wouldn't be an act of grace. It's something that's unwarranted. It's undeserving. Right? They give it to you freely in your will. Uh, other things like family meals or meals when people pay for your food to be given to you. That's also an act of grace. And also, you know, teaching other people. Like sometimes we teach other people just because we want to teach them. You know, we don't charge them for tutoring fees. We don't charge them to be able to uh, learn from us. Right? We just want to teach them because we love you. We want to teach you because we care about your education or we care about your spiritual life. But this act of you know, common grace, you know, we all do it every day. It's part of our human lives. But how is it that you know, this kind of stuff can save us? Right? I can understand that you know, when I need someone to pick me up from the airport, like with my father, I, I don't want to put my car there you know, for like 10 days to charge it, for the airport to charge me like $200 or whatever it is now. You know, when I ask for that grace, it's like, yes, that's really good in the moment, but what about tomorrow, right? Can I rely on my friend to, tomorrow to take me to wherever? Or can I rely on other people, my family members, to continue taking care of me for the rest of my life? How does this expand? Like, this common grace, as beautiful as it is, is deeply limited, right? So here's the difference, right? So the next slide, please. The difference between our common grace to one another as friends, as family, as buddies, you know, and Jesus' grace to us. Right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 or 9. If you want to turn there, you can, but I'm just going to read through it right now. It's that famous verse that talks about Jesus' grace, right? For, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, right? It's unmerited. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right, so the grace of God, and God taking you from this position in life into the next position, right, from immaturity to maturity, or from unsaved to saved, this is nothing that we do alone. Right? We're that person, or that friend who needs the ride, and God comes and gives us that ride towards heaven. You know, away from our wretched lives, away from our sin, into a place of peace and blessedness. Right? This is what God gives to us. So that's a different type of grace. 
This is not a grace that just, you know, we come and we need it once, and then once we get it, we're saved. You know, I don't need to go to church anymore. I believe in Jesus. I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. Right? That's not what it is. This type of grace, right, it continually works in us. It continually motivates our hearts. continually works throughout our lives, right? God is that constant friend, that constant counselor who is teaching us, who is blessing us, who is watching over us. This is what it's saying, right? So this is not anything that we do. This is, we purely rely on God for this, to forgive us. Right, so the next slide, please. Here's a great, you know, I forget what it's called, but this, this is one of those things that pastors put up there. So I want to be a pastor man, so you know, I put up this thing to help you guys learn. Grace, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. So what it's saying is that you know, whatever God was willing to give and bless his son for living a perfect life, Christ gives to us. He gives to us instead. And that is the love of Christ. When he goes up onto the cross to bear the suffering that, that we deserve, that we should have been crucified for, instead of us taking it, Christ says, I'll take it. I'll pay the bill. I've got this. And he's the only person who would do it. If we were to go on that cross, he would say, that's justified. We deserve to be punished for our sins. That is justice. But what God gives to us is not justice. something greater. It's grace. So, let's turn back to the uh, next slide, actually. Yes, next slide. So this is Christ's grace. Now we can kind of see you know, how this strengthens us. Right? This grace is not limited to just one point in our life. It's not just one moment. It's not just one thing that occurs. Right? Just an act of grace by our neighbor or by our friend or by our family member. No, this is a constant thing that keeps renewing us at our hearts. God's grace is there for us always. Right? So not only that, but it not only just affects us, but it affects other people. We can see the acts of God's grace onto others when we see them being motivated, being loving, being able to worship, being able to stay awake at church. If we see that, and we're like, oh, that is God's grace working within them, right? So not only is that able, that God's grace is able to do that, but it's able to do it across a whole diversity, whole span of cultures, all throughout time, you know, the past and all the present, you know, all the different cultures that are celebrating Jesus right now as we speak, all the different countries, all the different nations, and all the different tongues, and into the future, right? This is something that lasts. And we all say that we want to build something for the future. This is it. Christ's grace lasts into the future. This is the thing that gives us power. Right? When we remember what Jesus has done to us, we are able to be motivated. Right? I want to call this, you know, this grace is something similar to eternal strength. So that's a play on words with, uh, with being strengthened, right? This is eternal strength. It's not a physical strength. It's not even just an emotional strength or a spiritual strength, but an eternal strength. Right? Something that began in the start of time that will end towards the end. Right? If you know where you're going, and if you know that you're going to get there for sure, that makes us more and more motivated to do the right thing. Right? We will not fail. We, that's what we hear. Right? We understand that this power is a power that scales. Right? Not just in our own lives, we don't just want to make our lives better. We want to make the lives of our friends, of our family members, 
but people that we don't know, our teachers, people that are in our lives. We want to make their lives better, right? And this is a power that allows us to do so. So, that's the first two verses. Uh, let's go on uh, to the next slide. Oh, yeah. God's grace is greater. Uh, well, yeah, next slide after this. We're going to go quickly. Whoops. Oh, yeah. So this, right? So God's grace is power. We can see this, and we can take it for ourselves, but here's the thing. There's a catch, right? In Ephesians 2.8, it says that we are saved by grace, yes, but it is through faith. So this grace given to us, it's a gift, but also at the same time, if we do not have eyes, receive it. If we do not have faith, meaning if we do not are unable to be changed by this grace, if we don't have faith, if we don't believe that God truly loves us, then you're wasting that power. That power will not be manifested in you. Christ's grace will not be able to strengthen you. We need to have faith. And that's why you know, Paul writes to Timothy that we need to share this gospel. We need to share what God's grace to people who are faithful. Right? Faithful men. We are called to be faithful. We want to be able to utilize this power. We want to be able to change our lives, change the lives of others, change the lives of our culture. We need to be faithful in the first place. So, next slide, please. So, these are some of the things that I thought, you know, we put our deepest faith into. Now, maybe not us. Hopefully, we put our deepest faith in Jesus Christ, in our God, to be able to motivate us and push us through the things that are necessary for our lives. But, you know, so for this one, you can see, like, I put up a bunch of national flags. Now, I don't know when that picture was taken, but I'm pretty sure some of those countries don't exist anymore. So this was an older picture of the United Nations. You know, countries, they come and go. We put a lot of faith in our political system. Right? We believe that you know, all these things will probably stay the same, or maybe they're going to change. At least they're going to change for the better, right? We don't, sometimes it only, you know, maybe right now when we see inflation or gas prices, that we're like, oh man, maybe our faith in government is starting to wane a little bit. Maybe you know, people up in the power, they don't really care about us. That's true, but sometimes it's faith in the system itself that, oh, if we can, if we can just get political power, if we could just be able to take control of the Senate and the Congress and, and the House of Representatives and the presidency and the judiciary court, you know, we'll take care of everything, right? If we just had power, right? How great does that go for, you know, dictatorships, right? Dictatorships, they have all the power. Does that ever go well for them? Like, what makes us any different? You know, other things that we put faith in, you know, philosophy or our own intelligence or our own thinking, right, ourselves. Like, that's really good, right? I don't want to say anything bad about philosophy. I'm a philosophy minor, in fact, right? I studied this in college. But something that really ached my heart whenever I was studying these you know, super geniuses like Isaac Newton or Rene Descartes or Immanuel Kant, right? these huge books, I was like, man, but they're so self-focused on themselves. They don't care about other people. Karl Marx, he doesn't care about other people. He doesn't care about the people he's going to be able to leave behind. You know, the people that are not smart, the people who are, do not have the advantages that they had, they don't care. It's not able to scale up in that way. Sure, it'll be able to scale up in your own heart, but that just leaves you closed and reclusive to the rest of the world. It shuts our hearts up to other people. We're not able to love the same way. Right? So that's the power of the gospel. It's a different thing. Right? Intelligence you know, puffs up. Causes dis you know, it causes 
these issues that come up within our lives that we think we're better than other people. And so we shouldn't have too much faith in our own philosophies or ourselves or even in our friends, right? Friends, you know, sadly, they come and go. That's a natural part of middle school, a natural part of high school. One day you're going to graduate. You know, same thing happened to me. I was like, I'm ready, Lord. You know, I know I'm probably not going to see many of my friends later on in life, but I just, I just want to embrace them and hug them be with them this one last time on graduation day. I'm going to miss them so much. But this is a natural part, right? Friends come and go, and we can't rely on their faithfulness for a long time. Okay, so next slide, please. So, back to the passage. Back to the passage. Okay, so, we're going to verse 3. So right now, Paul is giving us some examples. Right. So, we are to be strengthened by God's grace. We are supposed to train faithful men. Now, how does this look like? How does God's grace, Christ's grace, on the cross strengthen us? Or in the Greek, it's, you know, give us power. Give us dynamic power. So the first example he puts up is of a soldier. He tells us, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So this good soldier, it's not just, you know, you run out of the mill, you know, you just got drafted and he's just, you know, I don't care. You know, I, I'm just someone that's, you know, just here because the government forced me to do it. No, this is a soldier that cares about his commander. Right? Just like we care about Jesus. We know that Jesus cares about us, so we want the gospel to be shared. This, such, this, this soldier, this grace that we're given, it gives us the strength to endure. Right? Just like how a soldier is able to endure any hardship, they're able to, you know, back at the time, you know, it was terrible for them. You know, they had nowhere to sleep. They had to sleep on the floor. A lot of times, a lot of them died because of disease rather than warfare. You know, their lives were miserable, boring, but also at the same time, it was a necessary part of the Republic. It was a necessary part to have these soldiers defending Rome. So, but more so, you know, we as Christians, when we are soldiers, we're called to be soldiers, we must be focused on what is the most important thing, right? The Roman soldiers, they're focused on their commander. They look to their commander, and they get their orders from him, and they follow suit, right? They follow rank. But for us, who do we follow, right? A lot of times in ministry, we get distracted. Right? And these distractions, you know, they're sometimes not good, but they're good, beneficial things. Like our friends, right? Oh, I really you know, just want to love my friend. Sometimes when we're loving our friend, we forget to love Jesus, right? There's sometimes a temptation in our hearts, like, oh, I should be nice, so I shouldn't you know, discipline them, or I shouldn't say anything that's bad, you know? They're doing something bad, but you know, I care about them. I'm not gonna say, hey, you know, stop doing that. I don't want to be a buzzkill. I'm not an arc, right? So, but here's the thing, right? We don't serve our friends. Our friends are not the ones who have died for us. Christ is the one who dies for us. We are here to serve Christ, first and foremost. And when we do that, you know, we will have, uh, we will be pleased by Him, right? God will be pleased with us. You know, being able to be said, hey, you are a good and faithful servant, that should be our desire in our hearts when we're doing ministry or sharing the gospel or being a good person. And so the next uh, slide. Yeah, so a good image that I love, you know, sometimes I was thinking about, like, oh, do I put in a Roman soldier? I was like, you know, they're really violent, but so I'm going to put in, uh, I'm an American, so 
I love the uh, American Revolution because there are people that not only just suffered a lot, right? This is the crossing of the Delaware. And you see how cold it was, how much these soldiers suffered, right? They volunteered to be part of this militia. There was no one that told them, like, hey, you need to, you need to be part of this or else, you know, we're going to kill you. No, they didn't do that. Like, they volunteered to fight for their freedoms. Likewise, we volunteer to fight for Christ, to fight for the gospel, this thing that is able to strengthen us and to spread out and help the rest of the world. Right, so next slide. Two more comparisons that Paul uses. Right? Grace helps us to strive correctly. The first, the other image is the athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Verse, verse 5. Right? An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And the other image that he provides for us is a hardworking farmer. But it is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Right? These two things, you know, they kind of get confused sometimes in our Christian discourse, right? Paul always constantly tells us to be an athlete, but that doesn't just mean like, oh, you got to be competitive, like you're competitive in school, you got to be number one. Right? That's, that's part of it, right? You want to be number one in the right way, right? Nobody likes a cheater, right? We wouldn't say that, oh, just because this person you know, got straight A's, he's the smartest person in school, because what if he cheated? If he cheated, then really... Maybe he's the best at cheating, but I wouldn't say that he's technically the smartest. Right? Likewise with athletes. If you want to win gold, if you want to be crowned, you have to follow according to the rules. And for Christians, we have to follow the rules that God gives and provides for us. Not just, you know, this is not some sort of legalism that, you know, we always have to constantly be, a, be aware, but it's to highlight, right, the aspect of human hearts that we do not want someone to honor someone, to crown someone that is a cheater. That someone who gets there not on his uh, not on his effort, but someone who doesn't deserve it, right? So, the people that are deserving, really, those, the people, those people, are the ones who follow according to the laws. And so sometimes, you know, we have private laws or unspoken laws in church, like, you shouldn't be doing this, like, oh, maybe you shouldn't have a tattoo, or you shouldn't have a tattoo, or, you know, you're cool if you drink black coffee, you know, you're not cool if you don't drink black coffee, or, I don't know what you kids, like, you know, you play Roblox, like, you're not cool, right, so, these things, you know, they're unspoken rules, and that's kind of what Jesus is hit, or Paul is hitting at uh, with the hardworking farmer, there's no technical law out there, like, oh, you have to share your crops, but this hardworking farmer, he works hard, provide for his family, but not only just his family, but for the rest of his community, right? Look at the word, you know, the first share of the crops. These are communal things, right? A lot of times in our society, because we're so focused on ourselves, because we're so focused on the market, right, where we think that, oh, whatever I work, I work so that I can get money, right? But in their culture, it wasn't really like that, right? To be able to grow crops, that was their whole livelihood. If you didn't grow crops, man, you go starving. Your family would go starving. Your friends or your brothers and your sister and your father and your mother, they would starve. Right, so Paul tells Tim to be to be hard working for the gospel. Likewise, at the same time, you know, we want to honor, you know, this is pastor's appreciation week, right? We want to honor the pastors who have been hard working for us. People that deserve the first share of the crops, right? This is the whole community coming together and saying, like, hey. You know, you've worked so hard, you've given us so much that we want to honor you by giving you the first share. 
right? We want you to have the first fix of the problem, right? The hard worker, he's probably able to outproduce the rest of his family, but because he loves them, he shares with them. At the same time as the community, we don't just accept, oh, cool, thanks. Uh, this is cool, it's a gift, it's a handout, right? No, we want to honor them. We want to bless them. We want to look at them and say, like, hey man, you deserve this. It's a token of our gratitude. We thank you for how much you've given to us. Right? This is a relationship. It's something that's deeper. The next part of the sermon, uh, the next uh, slide, please. Right, so Paul tells us to think over what we, what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding and everything. And this is kind of like a catch-all. Like, oh, you know, God, give us understanding. You know, beam the knowledge into my head. You know, I can be smart or something. You know, sometimes... When we're beginner Christians, you know, we act that way. It's like, God, I don't know, you know, maybe I have a math problem, or you're frustrated. Oh, uh, God, you know, give me understanding in everything, everything. I want to know everything, <laughs> you know. So you want to be big brain, not small brain, but that's, that's not really what it is. It's not just talking about knowledge, right? When, he, when Paul tells us to think over what I say, it's, it's not just to think over it like once, like consider it as a rational argument. It's to mull over it. When you're stuck in traffic, when you're in school, when you're in the restroom, think over it. Hey, Right? Am I like a good soldier of Christ? Am I willing to suffer for Jesus? Am I focused on what God wants me to do? I think over it. But the other part is like, am I a good athlete? Am I really competing against the rules? Or is there something that I'm doing in my life that, you know, once I get that gold, people are going to say, like, hey, you cheated. That's got to be taken away from me. I don't want that in my life. The last part is like, am I hardworking enough? You know, do I just focus on myself and my own profit? Do I hide some of the crops so I can sell on the side later? Because farmers used to do that. They promise you to give part of it, but instead they hide it and then they sell it behind those bags. Am I really giving my first fruits? Am I giving it my all to God and to the rest of the church? So Paul tells us to do this. And final part. Uh, next slide, please. Paul tells us to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David has preached in my gospel. You know, these, the past, the these are um, things, but it's not in the Bible. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. The word of God is not bound. So what's, what's Paul hinting at right now? Like I said before, the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace that comes with the gospel, is not, pat, is not bound by the past, is not bound by the present, is not bound by the future. It is something that expands and grows throughout all time. Right? This is the power of God's grace. So, this word, I want you guys to focus on this word and think about it. Okay, the word remember. A lot of times when we use the word remember, it's like, maybe it's in a meme, like, in a big mark on <laughs> no, Not think, but we're going to remember. Like, don't you remember, like, you know, a squared plus B squared equals C squared or something, you know. Or remember, you know, grace, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense. No, it's just not, it's not just knowledge, right? This idea of remembering is to bring back as a member, right? So some of you, you know, you guys can deeply remember the first day of class, right? Maybe it's the first time you stepped onto your middle school. For the first time you stepped into high school. Like, I want you to close your eyes right now. I want you to close your eyes right now and just to be part of that, right? To think. Right? I'm going to go through the motions of this idea of remembering. With all of us. Like, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Stay silent. And think. Right? 
When was the last time that you truly felt at one with Jesus Christ? That Jesus Christ was there with you? What were you feeling? How were you thinking? What were your emotions? What were the circumstances that was going through this? Right? Maybe you were at youth retreat. Maybe you were thinking, oh man, so this is what Christian community looks like. I want to be part of that again. Remembering is not just recollecting the facts of our lives, but it is being back in that present moment. It is a mode of being. Right? It is so much deeper than just intellectual knowledge. Right? It is this grasping, that same heartbeat from the past now drives us into the present and past into the future. Right? So I want to share with you a story. And this is Every time I get depressed, every time I'm like, oh, man, God, you know, I don't know what to do. Now, I remember Christ and what he did for me and this other woman uh, when I was in a missions trip in San Diego. So why don't you remember with me? Right, so here I was in college. I was barely a sophomore. I didn't really have any friends, but I wanted to go to a missions trip. We were there to help the homeless. We were there to serve them, but there was a great rainstorm. It was the middle of the night in San Diego, downtown San Diego. And it was dirty, it was filthy, it was wet, it was dark, and I was getting hopeless. I'd given out a lot of the free packs that I had. It was filled with, you know, uh, it was filled with tracks, it was filled with food, water, socks, you know, an umbrella to give to the homeless. But I, I felt like I wasn't really making a connection. And all of a sudden I hear someone behind me say, hey, sir, can I please have that? And you know, I turn around and I see a young homeless black woman standing next to me. She introduced herself. Her name was Cookie. What? I asked her, hey, yeah, of course, you know, let me give this to you. I want this to be a blessing for you. You know, is there anything that I can pray for you for? And Cookie just kind of looked at me and said, no, nah, I'm good. I'm all right. I was like, all right, you know, so, but... But something told me in my heart, like, hey, can I, is there anyone that you love that I can pray for? And suddenly her demeanor changed. And she began to, to have a tear in her eye. She said, yes, please pray for my father. He's sick and in the hospital. He's dying of cancer. And at that time, I knew, I knew that this woman and she's not just a homeless woman. She has a heart, too. She has people who she loves. She has people who cares about her. And who, and God, not only that, but God loves her as well. And I want to be there for her. So I began praying for her. No, the gospel is something that transcends both race and sex. Both class and history. Both culture, past, present, and future. As we think about the gospel, the power that is able to have to unite the hearts of different Christians, of the people of the world, transcends anything else. I thought to myself, maybe this is what Paul was feeling when he was remembering Christ. He remembered the time that he was a sinner, when he first began to persecute the church, when he was attacking and killing Christians. And God changed his heart. How much joy he must have felt, how much relief he must have felt at that first taste of salvation. And I think now, 
in Paul's present time as he begins to write from a dark, dank Roman prison bound in chains like a criminal because he was preaching the word of God. He says that even though I am bound like a criminal, the word, the gospel is not bound. It is not bound. It is not bound by our race. It is not bound by our age. It is not bound by any circumstance that we might put in front of it, whether it be in the past, the present, or the future. It is unlimited. It is unreaching. Next slide, please. <laughs> Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. With eternal glory. This is the future that Paul is looking to. He remembers the time he trained of Timothy, and he has that hope. He knows that Christ will be there for his people to sustain them, to deliver them, to continue pushing them to do the right thing, to continue pushing the story of the gospel, the love of God. God is faithful in all of this. Uh, Paul knows. That's why he writes in the next part. Uh, next slide. The saying is trustworthy. This is a saying that was used all throughout the early church. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Saying that, you know, we must die to ourselves. Our past lives, the things that we thought that described us, that defined us, our circumstances, our age, our race, our sex, all these things, our past, our history, you know, our money, uh, what, whatever, man. Our classes, everything, our intelligence, that is not what defines us. Right? What defines us is that we live in Christ. All those things are washed away. All those things are gone. They're not important. That's not the focus of your life. You die to those things. Those things that we once cherished, that we once really wanted compared to the gospel, the thing that is able to transform the lives of not just us, but the whole world, that is what we want to live with. That is what we want to be with. That is what our hearts, all of our single hearts, our human hearts, desire and yearn for. Amen. That's that good. Christ, we live with him. Not only that, but Christ upholds us. He strengthens us. If we endure, we will also reign with us. We will also reign with him. Right? So this is Christ's promise to us, that in the gospel, that if you're able to endure, if you take these suffering, if you're able to die to yourself, give these things up, you will have treasure in heaven, something far more blessed, maybe even treasure here, now, but not like material treasure, the spiritual treasure, the relationships that you have in church, the relationships that you will have with your family, the, the healing and the process that is able to change the culture, the relationship that you have with homeless woman in San Diego, or a relationship that you have when you meet your uh, when you meet people on a mission trip. These things cross cultures. These things cross time and space itself. That is the power of the gospel. But also at the same time, you know, the next slide, Paul warns us, right? If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we say the gospel, yeah, that's great, that's powerful, that's good for you, but I'm going to live my own life. I already know what I want in the future. I already know what I want for the rest of the world. I already know what I want for my family. Then you deny Christ and you say, I will keep on living my own life my own way. And likewise, Christ will say, you want to go your own way? I will let you go your own way. I will not pursue you. I will not chase you down. 
If we deny Christ in this crucial moment, he will also deny us. The last part, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, or he cannot deny himself. Now this might be a little confusing, right? It's like, oh, it's something really negative, but you know, this seems like it's positive. But in the context of the scripture, it makes much more sense that Christ, his faithfulness is not necessarily to us. Because like, if, I, if I were to say, hey, you know, I'm faithful, God uses me, God pushes me out into the world, he uses me, right? He needs faithful men. But if I were suddenly to turn faithless, uh, I lose my faith in Christ, you know, what does God do? He's like, oh no, I was, just, I was using Derek as my tool, now I can't share the, the power of the gospel to the rest of the nation. Like, I can't do it. No, no, that's not what it means. I, I believe in the context of the scripture, uh, Paul is trying to tell us that even when we are faithless, even when we refuse to do the work that God has set out for us, when we refuse the gospel, God is still working in the world for his own purposes, for he cannot deny himself. Not This is not just something for us. The gospel is not just something for us, but also for God. This is something that God wants for the whole world. He wants a relationship. You Can't you see that? He cannot deny himself. He's not just saying, like, God's not just like a nice guy. He's like, oh, hey, you know, I want to give you all these blessings just because, you know, I thought you needed it or, you know, I saw you struggling. It's, no, not, it's not that. God wants a deep and personal and meaningful relationship with us. And he's willing to suffer for it. He sends his son to die on the cross for us, to bear our sins so that we too may be united with him. We may be united with him. Grace, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. I want you, you for the last part, this is the big idea, right? Next slide. What the? I miss, oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> the big idea. If we want to be strengthened by Christ's grace, we must be first. We must. We first. We must first be faithful to Him. Right, so, we want to be strengthened by Christ's grace. This power that transforms the entire world. That when once the Roman Empire was persecuting Christians, you know the soldiers they they didn't even know what they were doing. They're asking themselves, "Hey, you know, why am I killing this guy Paul? He seems like a really loving guy." He's like, "I don't know." The emperor says, kill him, so kill him. It's like, okay, you know, time to hit. And they broke his neck, so that's what happened. But, you know, the, the transformation that came with the suffering of Christ, that came from the suffering of Paul and the other martyrs, you know, they came and they strengthened the faith within the Christian world. Right? It is through them, right? their faith and our faith, we use this to transform ourselves, our families, our friends, the rest of the world. But you cannot tap into the power of the gospel unless you have faith. Unless you first believe. If you have no faith, you know, what What are these words good for you? You might as well, you know, I don't know, learn coding. Why don't you spend an hour every day on your computers to learn how to code? You know, that'll be beneficial for your for your future employment. I'm sure of it. I'm not sure. I don't know how much faith I have in this society, right, to give what each and every one can do. Be strengthened by Christ's grace. Be strengthened by it. Right, we remember those four questions that we asked ourselves. I hope you guys wrote it down. It's like, are we willing to suffer for Christ? Are we willing to do the right thing for Christ? Are we willing to participate in the right way? Are we willing to be able to able to work hard for him and for his church? And here, just, you know, just to end, a couple of discussion questions that I had. Uh, next slide. Uh, for personal. 
right? In our personal lives, we want to ask ourselves, in what areas of my life can I be more faithful to Christ? Right? Maybe it's to our family. Maybe it's in our daily devotions. Like, hey, you know, I, I know the scripture stuff is important, but you know, I have a hard time reading it. Maybe I can download a Bible app or ask a counselor to read with me. But how can we be more faithful to Christ? Right? How can we be more willing to suffer for Christ's sake? How can we be more able to think through or maybe to remember you know, God's love for us? Communal. This just means like in your church community, or with your friends, or with your family, but how can we better share the grace of Christ to others? Right? When we first began, we talked about common grace. Right? Like carpooling with other people, sharing a meal with other people. All those things are great things. And you know, these things make God happy. But also at the same time, the better grace. You know, I I have to be honest, like, you know, I'm a very I love my friends. I want to give them everything that I can, but I recognize that I can only be there for them for so long. I can't be with them you know, through every single crisis. Sometimes friends want their friends to do that for them, but that's too much. Right? The grace of Christ is more powerful than my grace to my friends. Right? So instead of me just like, oh, being there for my friend, I want to give them something even better than my presence. I have to have humility. The presence that is really good is Christ's grace. Right? Or you know, sometimes when our family, right? We, sometimes we don't, we have this relationship that we shouldn't talk back to our parents or we shouldn't you know, do this and that's all good, but how can we show them grace as well that comes from Christ? Finally, you know, cultural. It's probably broader uh, picture, this is just for you know, our real own learning. It's like whenever we're challenged by this, whenever we see something on YouTube or something we hear from our friends, you know, we want to ask ourselves, you know, how can we better remember uh, that God's grace is greater. When we're challenged with something, like, oh man, you know, this belief is really strong, this thing is really powerful, but let me match it up with the gospel. Does it care about the people who are broken inside? Does it care about the people who are mentally disabled? Does it care about the people who are homeless? Does it care about the people who are weak? Or does it care about me? Right? If I'm not able to live up to these expectations that, you know, that this idea, these beliefs have, you know, if I fail, will they be able to love me still? And Christ loves you still, even if you fail. Even as you continue to think about these things, you know, I want to pray for you. Look at that, 38 seconds. Right, so this is the end of my sermon. You know, let me pray for us. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you strengthen us with you know, Christ's grace. That we're able to have these experiences of your love towards us, but also give us eyes to see. Let us have faith to look at the daily things that people do for us so that we're able to recognize and say, man, God, that is your good grace given to us. This is the power of the gospel working in my community, in my life, in my family, and in the world, God. I pray that you continue to develop us so that we may be able to develop others. I thank you, Lord, for this time, for your youth. Uh, may you mature us, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.